0: What's up, everybody? I was recently on Dr. Paul Etchinson's podcast, the Dental Practice Heroes podcast, and I had a great time with him. Um, I met Paul several years ago. He was attending a summit that I was co-hosting, and uh, I quickly realized that I could learn a ton from this guy. And although I was on stage, I went up picking his brain uh, over lunch and just absorbing tons of information. So stay tuned, listen below. I think you'll really like it. Again, if you like our podcast and you think it's valuable, please drop a like or a comment. We wanna spread the influence and help other people. Peter and I love to pay it forward. And speaking of paying it forward, our official 2020, February 28th and 29th Bulletproof Summit is now sold out. So we're excited about that. We filled the room. Um, So if you didn't get a chance to attend or you were thinking about attending and haven't pulled the trigger, just subscribe so that you can stay tuned if we do another one. Uh, hope you guys are doing great. Give this a listen, and I hope you enjoy it. Stay bulletproof, people. Good to be here. Very excited to be here, actually. Wasn't I uh, like the number? I was in the first ten podcasts you did, Paul. You were the inaugural episode, man. You were no the no way. Yeah,
1: so you were the third one I recorded. But like, you know, you and I, we just we just we had good banter, so I just I released that one first.
0: Wow, that was
1: bold of you. Yeah, so like now coming around, I'm almost at episode 100, and yeah. Wow, that's awesome, bro. It's cool. But yeah, I'm glad to have you back on this. Last time we had you if listeners, if you haven't listened to that one, go back to the very, very first episode, and don't be too judgmental of my interview style, but listen to Craig, because it was such a good one. We talked about Invisalign and just verbiage and stuff like that, and it was just a really good one, but... For listeners that don't know about Spodak Dental, man, I mean, just give us a really brief synopsis of it. I don't want to go too much into that because I want to spend time talking about our topic,
0: but, but what is Spodak Dental? It's a lab. It's just a big experiment. It's an experiment about taking the very best care of patients and team dynamics and trying to elevate our own game and, and being better because of each other. And yeah, it's been a, a fun adventure. It's brought me a lot of opportunities. It allowed me to introduce or meet and be introduced to some very special people. And yeah, it's been a a cool ride, man. 13,000 square feet, 10 doctors, lab, specialty. Learned a lot over the years. And obviously, like all the rest of us, if I were to whiteboard it out right now and start from scratch, it'd be different. But it's been really cool, really cool.
1: So, I mean, it's a large facility. And I was like, I'll say, if you didn't say it, you do have a lab and it is your lab because an experiment is someone's, it's unusual to have an office of that size. Now, how many people do you have? How many team members on your team?
0: So we're 10 doctors, including myself. And we're 34 team members at the moment, so 44 people in a box, yeah. Wow, that's a lot of people.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, like you said, going back, if you look at it, and it's like I've expanded to 11 Ops, and I thought I was like, okay, this is my second time around. I went from my 5 Ops startup to 11 Ops. I'm going to do everything right this time, and now that we've been in there for a year, there's a lot of things I would change, and just as you had alluded to, you would do it different now. What would you say, looking back on it, what were some of like the major lessons, like the things that you know now that you didn't know back then that you've learned over the course?
0: Well, Paul, that's a that's a good question, but life only goes forward. So I want to kind of, let me preface what I'm about to say by saying this. We do things to get a certain result, and I don't think any of us have a very clear understanding of what we're actually going to feel like and what our life is going to be like when we do something. And What I knew then was that my passion was I wanted to revolutionize the field of dentistry. I wanted to do things differently. So I said, what's the bare minimum size that I could do that I could have my specialist at our beck and call and create the infrastructure and size to support an on-site lab? Because I thought an on-site lab would be really good for our patients. Dentistry is changing. We have a different environment now. So I mapped out the office. It was like 2011 when you were like six years old, I think, Paul. So things have changed a lot. So we have... GPs and technology that are, in my opinion, disrupting a lot of the specialty practice. We have 3D printers and milling machines and Cerec and other machines that can, in some ways, disrupt the lab practice. You can't go back and say what I would have done differently. It's like saying the time when I was a kid and I tried to get a taxi home from Miami one night, I should have taken an Uber. Like Uber wasn't there yet. And also, it's brought me a lot of different... We tend to look at things in two dimensions of like, I did this and it got me that this created this. But there's also the, all these other things. And I, I think that the practice I created allowed me to pivot and reach another level of fulfillment because it gave me some form of credibility to get up on stage and have a podcast and, and meet the interesting people like yourself that I met along the journey. I, I can safely say that people might not have been as interested or given me as much credibility had I not done what I did. So it's not just a A plus B equal C type of thing. There's been a lot of other fulfillment that's been brought to me through the practice.
1: Understood. Now, I mean, having a large team like that, and and I talked a lot of Dennis and when I talk about my team, people say, gosh, I wish I had team members like yours. I, I really wish I had a better staff, things like that. And I think what they're really saying is just, I wish that my team was engaged. Now you having so many people, what have you learned as far as keeping a large team engaged? And having people rally around a common purpose, that sort of stuff, what have been the lessons there?
0: That's an easy question for me to answer, actually, because I've come to understand that leadership is one of the biggest things that we have to develop as dentists and practice owners. Oftentimes, you'll hear things. People will comment to me and say, "Hey, you know, I'm a dentist in Canada, and I don't know if you know how it is in Canada, but it's really hard to get people to to work in Canada." Or, "I live in Chicago, and I don't know if you know about that, but we can't find hygienists in Chicago." So they always make a global problem. It's never really looking in the man in the mirror and saying, "I've got an issue retaining good people. I've got an issue leading people. I've got an issue getting people engaged." And that's the first thing you got to be emotionally aware. And you got to be emotionally intelligent to say, where are my deficiencies? Many dentists are struggling and they can't keep good team and they can't keep team engaged. And what do they do instead? They go out to a course on how to like learn how to prep teeth better or how to like take on full mouth reconstruction or whatever. And I'm not saying those are bad, but just to have the intelligence and the analytical space to say, this is what I really need. And that's what the benefit of having good advisors, mentors and friends around you to just be like, Hey, you, this is what you need. And, and I think leadership has been a very strong and constant need for me. And I've invested a lot in my leadership abilities and continue to do so. And, and leadership is something like where you're never really done. So as your leadership skills grow, you'll take on more challenges and you'll wind up back in the weeds again. So it's this constant cycle of breakdown and breakthrough. You break through, you get the, like you did, you break through and you, go into 11 ops and you go from like nine team, How many team members do you have now, Paul? 27. Right. So how many were you three years ago? Oh, probably like 12. Right. So in three years, you've like literally more than doubled your team. So your leadership skills had to double and triple. And you'll get comfortable and you'll get bored. And we go through like this continuum from bored to breakdown. So when you get bored, you're like, you know, let me build another 20 (laughs) hops. And then you have a breakdown and you get better and you grow into it and you get bored again. And it's this whole constant cycle. So leadership, you're really never done. But one thing that I want to do to kind of just sum up the question is, it always comes down to two things with leadership. It's the psychology and skill set of the leader. And of those two factors, psychology is 80% of it.
2: At the end of this year, we'll be entering in the year 2020. 2020, everyone associates with perfect vision. Wouldn't it be cool to start your year off with perfect vision and clarity for your practice's trajectory? Heck, even other aspects of your life? We are doing the summit early in the year for this very purpose. As practice owners ourselves, we are bringing tips and processes that helped grow our practices to scale. Learn from people who have done it, not just preach about it. So join us in Houston at the St. Regis, February 28th and 29th. We've negotiated amazing nightly room charges at $179. Even if you've been to a summit of ours before, do not miss this one. We're going to be focusing on digital marketing, including
0: social media. Hope to see you there. So I challenge all the people who think they have a global problem, like I can't get good people in Canada, or you know how it is in Chicago. It's not Canada. It's not Chicago. It's you. It's us. And I don't say you as it like pointing the finger at you. It's me as well. So when I have a big failure, I'm like, what am I doing to cause this? And sure enough, it follows me. So if I have this tendency to do this really bad thing, be moody or, or have a variable mood, and sometimes I'm happy and sometimes I'm not, and I can't. Or whatever, whatever my challenge is, I see that showing up in other parts of my life. So I want to like look at that and take that on and refine that aspect of what I'm doing. But psychology is huge, totally huge. And you got to get the right headspace.
1: And I totally agree with you. Like everything you said there, and it's it's true. And a lot of it's psychology, like you said, it's the way that we're thinking. It's it's like our attitudes, I guess, our values, even, and how we express those. But when people say, ah, oh, you know, you work on leadership, work on leadership, and you we hear this a lot on the podcast circuit. How do we develop leadership? And I know a lot of it's like experimentation and just experience. And as we get older, we just become more wise because we have more experience. But when we say that 20% of it's skills, you know, that's good. We're going to learn from books. We're going to learn from other things. How do we get the right psychology?
0: It's just from practice. So you look at anybody that's extremely successful, whether that be a professional athlete or a business owner, you got to see what those people are doing in private. It's incredible what, Tom Brady's doing like in this private time. You just think he just shows up on the field and kicks ass. But that guy is putting in massive amount of work, psychological work, like reviewing and, and taking care of himself. I mean, there's an incredible amount of work that goes into it. In psychology, you can't just if you get up in the morning and you don't really have any form of morning ritual, any form of gratitude practice, a spiritual practice, or something to set you out in the right intention, life will get complicated and you will tend to start not performing. So the most successful people I know have some form of ritual. They 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 tend to work out. They tend to take better physical condition of care of themselves. They have a spiritual practice or a gratitude practice or some alone time that's reserved. Peter, my partner on the podcast, he does this thing in the morning where he kind of has a gratitude journal and does some stuff like that. So... I think your psychology can be improved. If you just let your psychology go to its default, it's going to wind up being negative. Life will give you a bunch of negative things and you will tend to get dark if you don't have an intentional positive practice to counteract that.
1: Yeah. You know, I was just reading a book and I can't remember what it was, but it was talking about how just evolutionary wise, like we're, we're wired as humans to see the bad things And to in order to be happy, there almost needs to be this hope for a better thing. But we have to believe that we can have a better a better outcome or the future is going to be better. And it it almost is this never ending cycle of like, oh, if I could just fix this one thing, my life would be a lot better. And as you and I both know, once you fix the one thing, it doesn't feel a whole lot different. New new challenges come and it's just a bunch of always solving problems, just one after another.
0: Yeah, there's. I I read that same thing. It was actually, there's two things about that. The number one thing that I wanted to touch on is the brain is an, an instrument of survival. The brain's job is to keep you alive, not to keep you happy. So from an evolutionary standpoint, it's always looking like, is that bear going to attack me? Is this going to go wrong? So the same survival mechanism goes into your practice. It's, it's not the bear anymore, but like, hey, is my overhead going to suffocate me? Is the guy opening the corporate office opening down the street going to hurt me? So we're always looking for what's wrong. Is Diane the receptionist doing her job? Is, am I getting embezzled from? I mean, these are the thoughts that are going through the practice owner's head at a daily basis. And then the other portion of that is that your brain is wired from an evolutionary standpoint, to be at like a level seven out of 10 in happiness. There's been a lot of psychological testing that shows that something really terrible happens, like the death of a family member or a loved one. Obviously, your happiness goes down to a zero out of 10 for a little while, but you'll tend to bounce back up to a seven. And then you win the lottery and your happiness goes to a 10, and then you just go back to a seven. So the human species is wired to be mildly dissatisfied. And that's what had our ancestors leave Africa and start farming and venture out and paint the Sistine Chapel. And human beings, we we want to, if we were very content and happy, if our average as a species was 9.5, we'd be sitting in the grass like cows and eating shit all day. You <laughs> yeah, know what I'm saying? Totally. The, the reason why we went from five to 11 ops, we had that conversation early before you even did it. I actually told you don't do it. You did. I remember you saying like, hey, these are the reasons why I want to do it. I'm like, I wouldn't do it if I were you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, yeah, that was probably 2 years and then the the opportunity made it showed its face again and I was like but you know I was at a different place then.
0: I know, but it's like if you actually just were to take like a happiness test prior to doing it. Oh yeah. And now after doing it, I mean you did it, it's cool, but are you significantly happier now? No. no <laughs> right. So it's know. so funny that we do this <laughs> shit, man. We go and it's the same thing, like buying like a really nice car. Like you've always wanted, you know, your are a new dentist. You're like, if I could just get myself a BMW three series or whatever else you really want and you buy it and you're super happy. You read the whole instruction manual, the driver's manual, and you like want to sleep in it. You smell the leather and like six months later you get a door digging it you're like freaking car, like whatever it becomes a car. And then it doesn't even matter anymore. It's this fleeting hedonic treadmill that we're on that we just seek other things. And and I'm I, listen, I hope that no one's listening to this and be like, oh, wow, this guy's super self-actualized and he's super happy. All I know right now at this point in my life at 48 and being a dentist for 21 years is I'm starting to look at myself and be fascinated by the way I behave because I'm human. I get emotional. I think this is going to make me happy. I have ups and I have downs. And it's interesting because I have a big practice and some degree of notoriety in my community and among some people. And it is a disconnect between people like looking at me, like saying, I want what you have because I'll be happy. And then me looking back at them be like, you know, what you have is pretty cool too. And I mean that sincerely. So it's an interesting like experiment for me. Yeah. It's cool to go through life and, and just to be fascinated by your own behavior and, and be a little flexible about, maybe I really don't want that. Maybe I do want that. Like right now, what I really want is I want to buy like a bunch of land near my house in Florida because I want to take my kids like riding on their ATVs so 10 years ago, I might've wanted something that some tangible thing, like maybe a car or a watch. I don't give a shit about any of that stuff now. Like if you had your camera on you, I'm wearing a Garmin watch. I have all these amazing watches and things that used to matter to me and they don't matter at all. And I'm like fascinated by that. Now I just want to be like in the dirt with my kids.
1: It's true, man. And it's, it's weird. Like I the watch thing. Totally. Like I I've gone through the same thing. I had this one Bolova watch. It's like my favorite watch. If never if I had to line up all my watches as far as like how expensive they are, it's not up there, you know what I mean, but it's it's my favorite watch. I like how it looks. yeah I remember when you and I were talking at VOD and I was actually kind of in the dumps about just man, like thinking I want to retire, and you're just like, why would you want to do that? And my thought process back then was like, man, I'm down at three days a week. If I could only get down to two, then I'd have a lot of time to do the shit I want to do. And guess what, man? I've been down to two since, I think, March, and not a whole lot has changed. So wait, are Just you
0: two days clinical, or you're you're two days in the office? Two days clinical. So I'm still in the office, and actually... Yeah, so like, you know it's so funny is like, today is my meeting day, Paul. It's Wednesday. I don't do clinical dentistry. Guess what? I like doing clinical dentistry more than my meeting day.
1: Yeah, <laughs> the opposite. I like it the other way, but... You know what? I'll tell you that is that I, it ebbs and flows. Sometimes I do like doing the clinical dentistry. I usually had an really outstanding day on Monday this week where I just did, a, I did an implant, did some uh, extractions, did a little Botox, did a molar root canal, put a braces on two kids, and it was just an awesome day.
0: That's awesome, bro. Yeah. Do you still have your associate? I do. I have two of them now. Okay, cool.
1: Yeah, so we got two of them and I got a periodontist in there. And Has
0: the practice more than doubled in revenue?
1: Not since going from five to 11 ops. We I mean, five ops, we finished about 3.35. Last year, we did 4.25. I wanted to do 4.5, but we came a little short, but I'm still happy with that. I think 4.25 was, it was enough growth for us to
0: see, but. I think it's really important just to not hijack anybody's vision in dentistry and what they want to do and craft your own unique thing. Our Our space is so vast and there's so many different opportunities. And I think there's a lot of narrative in our profession of this is what you need to do. Yeah. There's so many courses that tell you exactly what you need to do. And I just think that there's a lot more flexibility in our profession. You can literally have it your way. This is like Burger King. So don't hijack anybody's vision. Don't do what Paul did or I did just because you think it's going to bring you to some different level. Craft it with what you want. And I think don't listen to anybody else Give me the naysayers. There's a lot of narrative on Facebook saying that dentistry's fucked and that it's going downhill and the heyday is gone. And I don't believe that's true. I think we, we have a very cool time and practice. And I actually don't see, I feel a lot of really good things about our profession. And, and you can do it exactly how you want. You have to change, you have to evolve, but there's multiple modalities of practice. There's no shame in being an insurance providing dentist. There's no shame in working for a larger group or being an associate. There's no shame in any of that. None of it. I mean, I could see like if I worked as an associate, I know what my entrepreneurial profit is. So I know like I pay myself 30% of what I produce And then what's left over is what I get for the joy of having a practice. But I have the joy of having a practice. I could have the joy of owning a couple strip mall shopping centers too. So if I said, hey, Paul, can I work with you? Can you pay me 30% and we arranged on that? And I was a high enough producer that made sense for you. There's all that extra time that I have where I'm whittling away at the numbers like you that I could spend on other things. I think that we're fed a narrative that we have to be practice owners and that we're supposed to do all this stuff. And I think, frankly, it's fed by our dental supply companies because they're in the business of selling chairs. So like, hey, you'll get a 2,000-square-foot place, put 15 chairs in it, you know, and buy this and buy that. And they don't give a crap. They're just selling stuff to us.
1: Well, let me ask you this. I I know what you're going to say, but like you said, that whole narrative that we're supposed to be owners do you think there are people that own practices just because they've been fed that narrative? And in reality, they shouldn't have of it. Of course, man. Like and like I said, there's this this guilt of, oh, you're just an associate. How long have you been out of school? Oh, you don't own your price yet? And it's like,
0: there's nothing wrong with being an associate. Sometimes I want to be an associate. Oh, I know. Me too, bro. Me too. A hundred percent. There's this and there's there's a lot of attributes to both to both things. But I do believe we're not even aware of the narratives we're being fed. That's the problem with being human. The reason why you wanted that Belova watch or the reason why you want the BMWs were marketed to, there's so many messages, there's so many consultants out there that will tell you this is what you need. 90% of them are not even dentists and never went to dental school. And there's so many people that work for the big supply houses will tell you this is what you're going to do and this is how you're going to work it. And you're going to buy two Ceracs and four chairs. It's going to be great. We have interest-free financing and don't worry and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like we're... And then on top of it, we have this predatory financial advisors that prey on all of us, Dennis. So I'm just really happy to be on a podcast with a guy like you who can, who we can share our thoughts and, and, and maybe shake people up that maybe, maybe I am being fed a crock of crap and I should look at this differently and maybe being an associate is okay. And I can spend more time with my family. And because at the end of the day, everybody tells us that the practice is worth so much money, but you know, it's worth a lot of money too, commercial real estate. And if you think about how much time you and I spend on the ops and the management of our practice, and then spent that amount of time fixing up multifamily houses or commercial real estate or investing in stocks or the S&P and funds and stuff like that, you could make a case that it maybe wasn't a great use of your time. Who knows? And it's diversified at that point. If you're an associate and you have all your money going outside the practice, you have a job that's not related to your nest egg. For us, we have a job that's very intimately related to our nest egg and the same thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. And these are things I think about often because I get a case in the Mondays every now and then, and I say, okay, and I then I do this mental calculation on the way to work of how much money do I have? How much do I need? What's the practice worth? Should I get out of it? I just, I mean, honestly, when I come back to reality, I couldn't see myself doing anything else, but who knows what's going to happen in the future. I kind of want to rein back on, on another thing because we were talking about leadership. And I think whether an owner or not, or whether associate owner doesn't matter. I mean, everyone could benefit from a little bit more leadership skills. All of us could ha- benefit from having a good culture at our office. And, and where do you think that starts?
0: You, you. I go into places sometimes that are really, I get a really cool vibe from like a restaurant or a local shop or something like that. And invariably I'll meet the owner or the leader. And I could always tell, I'm never surprised that when there's, I'll make a point. I don't really complain too much about poor service, but when I see amazing service, I always ask to speak to the manager. So I was at Cracker Barrel a couple of weeks ago with my kids, and I had this amazing waitress, and she just went like above and beyond. And she was just so awesome and so on it. And when I walked out, I'm like, to somebody else, I'm like, can I speak to the manager? And of course, they, they give you that look. Oh, God, you want to speak to the freaking manager? And he comes out, and he looks like a deer in headlights. Like, oh, what's this guy going to tell me? Rip me a new bunghole. I said, hey, man, I just want to acknowledge uh, Tanya, whatever her name was. She was just really on it. And I told her that, but I think it would mean a lot coming from you. And he just kind of went on to talk about his philosophy. And it was a minute conversation. But I'm like, Tanya, taking out a cracker barrel underneath the management of this guy and put in a crappy culture will be a crappy employee. So there's a book called Turn the Ship Around. I think Chuck Blakeman used to talk about it. I don't know if you read it or not. Yeah, Yeah, the naval guy. I can't think of his name. Yeah, so I never read it. I know the story and the story, I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was the worst performing ship in the Navy and a different general came in and made it the best performing ship in the Navy with the same exact people.
1: Yep. Same people.
0: So it's just like disengaged, didn't care, no cohesiveness, no team. And a leader came in and changed the whole culture. So I believe it's all you. That what you appreciate, appreciates. And we're all so focused on our hard physical capital the Cerec machine, the comb beam, the chairs, the budget for weave and all that stuff. That is not the largest portion of your profit and loss. Your largest portion of your profit and loss is your team. And if you invest in your team and take care of them and make them feel valued and cherished, they'll take care of the patients. And that's as simple as it comes down to it. You can't come here to your office in a shitty mood and drain your team. They just It just won't go. It won't last. And I mean, unfortunately, I'm painfully aware of when I'm in those states, I'm painfully aware of when I come in and people are like, you know, are you all right? I'm like, oh, shit, I guess, uh, you know, because there's conscious and unconscious leadership. There's what you say, and then there's what you do. So you could all be like, rah, 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 in the morning huddle, we're going to go and crush it. This is great. And then you're outside, like fighting with your wife and 20 minutes late for your patient and your assistant's like, yeah, he's probably arguing with his wife or like you lose your cool and you yell at one of your people. And you set yourself back so far so then they don't feel secure around you. So it's your unconscious and your conscious leadership, who you're being, like how you're occurring to them. Because you can think you're acting you have a great poker face, bullshit, you don't. People feel what you believe.
1: So like if you said if someone's listening and they say, you know what, it doesn't come natural to me. I'm not a people person. I've always struggled in this regard. And I'm starting to think Just maybe, I'm not ready to commit to it, but just maybe I might be the problem. What would your suggestion be to, how do they improve in that regard? I know you mentioned awareness, but what's some tactical things that they could do?
0: Well, first off, I'd say congratulations to that person, because the hardest thing is most people just blame others. There's fixed and growth mindsets. It's a great little document to peruse through, fixed versus growth mindset, And a growth mindset is linked to high performance, high satisfaction, high fulfillment. It's this ability that I can change, I can develop, I can grow. And fixed is like, well, it's just the way I am. My dad was just like that. My grandfather was like that. And they kicked me out of the little league team. And Betty Sue dumped me before prom. And that's just the way life's going to be. And that sucks. So if the person kind of realized, like, you know, I've got some things I need to work on, I'd say congratulations to that person. Because we're not perfect. We're all flawed. And it's our frailties as human beings that bring us closest together. My closest friendships, we share openly and we share our frailties and nothing makes someone feel better than having a trusted friend that you can commiserate and share frailties and successes with Instagram and social media has made it very available to see how everybody's kicking ass, but there's no Instagram for your failures unless people are laughing at you instead of with you. There's a lot of resources. I'm a big Maxwell fan, John Maxwell, Servant Leadership. You know I'm a huge Tony fan. Anybody who wants to shake up their life, go to Tony. That's just an epic adventure. What a return on investment that'll pay for, pay you. Of course, I would, I would also plug our own Bulletproof Summit. You know, Bulletproof Summit helps a lot of people. You know, you can see a video on our homepage. We had a girl just crying her eyes out at a dentist, just crying. I'm like, no one cries at a dental summit. It was a transformational experience for her. And it was because of the safety and security and the stuff we talked about. It was just really fulfilling for me to see people so moved. And we have people saying, I went from $5.2 million to $7.2 million. This guy, Troy Pierce, wrote me an email, broke their own barrier of what we thought was possible. So we got a Bulletproof Summit coming up February 28th and 29th. We also have a 10 times guarantee on it. So if you don't produce 10 times more than you spent in the first year after it, we'll give you all your money back. Because that's just like how Pete and I are. We don't care. We'd rather pay you the money back if you didn't get anything from it. And we're adding a we added a hygiene track because Pete's hygiene department went from one five to one nine from 2018 to 19, and my hygiene department went from one five to one eight eight. So almost the same trajectory 18 to 19. And it's because of the leadership of our hygiene teams, and we've got Pete's top hygienist and my top hygienist, and they've come together and done bulletproof hygiene. So the hygienists are going to kick ass. I think the hygienist alone will make your tuition worth it. There's a lot of resources out there. I think the most important thing is recognizing what your weakness is and not just going to the course to polish preps again. Because I bet you one of the reasons why most dentists are not successful is not their clinical skill. It's usually not your clinical skills. You can be an amazing clinician and people just don't vibe with you and team won't stick around and patients don't say Yes. And you could be a terrible technician and get great people skills and everybody's saying yes, which is a huge problem for not only you, but for the profession. But I think Dennis, we get it wrong and it's hard to look in the mirror, man. It's hard. It's a hard path to take.
1: So where can they find more information about the Bulletproof Summit?
0: Bulletproof Summit is on BulletproofDentalPractice.com. The summit page is right there. So BulletproofDentalPractice.com. And what were the dates? February 28th and 29th. Paul, why don't you come, man?
1: I was going to come, man. When I saw you, I got a Facebook ad for it. I'm actually going to be in Disney. Oh, no way. Next year. I'll be there next year.
0: Yeah, cool, man. I'd love to have you there. Because I was excited for you that
1: you did it again. And this is your third one, right?
0: Yes, sir. It's our third one. Yeah. Peter and I did it the first time. and Literally right before we went on stage, we're like, we hope we can help a couple people with this. And it was just like really, really well-received. And the second one was great at Terranea in Los Angeles. That's the one where we have the video on the homepage. And then this one's in Houston, and it's going to be really cool. We've got some really interesting guys. we got a guy named Chris Tuff. He's one of Pete's friends. He wrote a best-selling book called The Millennial Whisperer. And he was just hired by Nike. He's a good friend of Pete's, and we're excited to bring his technology to dentistry. And I just got back from a three-day story branding conference in Nashville, and we're going to be deploying a lot of that content as well.
1: Oh, that's cool, man. I I just was working on writing a new like mission story. You talking about like Donald Miller, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, I just started. I just I just started doing that. I was listening to a podcast. And I was doing that on the airplane when I went uh Actually, went to Hawaii a few weeks ago, but I was doing that on the airplane. And I just I haven't rolled it out or showed my team yet. But I just think there's a lot of power in the way that they do things.
0: Yeah, you're always on the cutting edge, man. I've learned so much from you. It's I so cool. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, seriously. When we were at the I guess you heard me speak in Texas one time and you told me about so many different things. I was like, it was literally, you started picking my brain and then halfway through lunch, I had a pad of paper and I was, I was like writing everything down that you were doing. It was so cool. And that's what I love about speaking too. It's, it's selfish because I learned so much from the audience.
1: Absolutely, man. I appreciate that. All right. So we got our final question rounds. I don't think we're going to get through all of them with you, Craig, but I do want to get through our get real segment, which is just Are where you we... saying I
0: talk a lot.
1: No, I just, I, I know you got a hard stop coming up and you do
0: talk a lot. I do talk a lot, buddy yeah
1: i remember at vod not you're talking but you did what is it called the haka or something like that is that what it's called i can't remember what it's called yeah
0: exactly haka that was awesome, dude. <laughs> oh no was so fun
1: all right anyway, people are like what that is Go- google that if you never heard of that guys it's the all blacks, yeah it's a right?
0: samoan war dance yeah Samo- samoan war dance yeah the all blacks yeah. the rugby team
1: okay cool so let's move on to the get real segment So what is the biggest struggle at your practice and what are you doing about it?
0: (laughs) Biggest struggle at my practice is just, well, struggles are, I'll call it just an opportunity challenge stretch because struggle seems a little heavy. Words have meaning. Yeah, they do. And struggle just feels like, you know.
1: Yeah, struggle.
0: Yeah. So for me, what I'm working on for 2020 is... Just empowering my people to get to the next level of case acceptance and helping my team reach their own personal goals. So that's what, that's what's on the docket. I want to help my team reach their personal goals, production goals, case acceptance goals, continuing education goals. That's what I, that's what I'm looking at. That involve you doing training personally? Yeah, exactly. Just kind of standing side by side with them. I mean, listen, if you have an associate in your practice, you're really yoked to their success. It's a very cool thing that it's a win-win because many relationships are like, I got to win and you got to lose or you got to lose so I could win or whatever. This is cool that we have equal opportunity to to benefit from each other's hard work. Awesome.
1: If you could go back in time to the beginning of your career, what do you wish you could tell yourself?
0: I'm not exactly sure because uh, I think time travel dangerous. You know, it's like, remember back to the future, you're probably too young for that, but I'm too old and you're too young. But... I think
1: I'm like five years younger than you. Oh really? How old are you, buddy?
0: I'm 38. How old are you? I'm 48.
1: So. Okay, okay. Well, so I'll be I turning. We,
0: fi- I'm actually turning 50 in 12 years. Yeah, I'm turning 50 in two. So I'm turning. <laughs> I'm turning 80 in only like 32 years. Oh, shit. <laughs> so the the problem with that is like I don't know if I tell anybody anything because it would totally change everything. I don't know if I'd go back and say anything to myself. I know that I should say things like be kinder to yourself, go easy on yourself trust because we've all spent years and months and hours worrying about things that never came to pass. So I think there's always, you know, we fear when things change and we fear different things that have happened. But it all seemed to work out pretty good. I'll take a page out of like when they study older people, what they say, what older people always have a consensus about saying is that they all wish they would have ventured more, been less risk averse, been more risky and and been kinder to themselves you know, life's going to happen no matter what. You might as well just play full out. And I think I did. I was very cognizant of the idea that I didn't want to have any regrets. So I pushed a lot throughout my career to do daring things that I I thought were daring because I'm like, I don't want to regret anything.
1: Awesome, man. All right, question three, share a story where you learned a valuable business lesson from an experience or the hard way.
0: That's a four hour question. That's a summit thing. That's that you learn everything (laughs) in my summit. Couple things. Build something sustainable. You can always make the offer better. You can't take away. So when it comes to bonuses or hygiene compensation, stuff like that, stuff that we're going to share at our summit, make it sustainable. Because once you offer someone something and then you try to change it, they're going to be pissed. So make sure it works for the business, it works for them, and it works for you. It's got to be a triple win. So it's very important. Go slow and, and make it sustainable.
1: Awesome. All right, so we're running out of time. Craig's got a hard stop here. I'm going to skip the dental practice hero sexy six, but I do want to go to our final question that we ask everybody, and that's if you had three
0: pieces of advice for a new dentist or soon to be graduate, what would those be? Read as much as you possibly can. Read for fun, but also read for business. Like read business books. Take success leaves clues. Find people who have done what you're trying to do. You know, whether that people you, you admire in the business world or in the dental world, and read their books. Paul, your book is awesome. We've got a book out too. I would also say to eat the elephant one bite at a time, like segment your clinical and your, depending on what you're doing, your clinical and your behavioral skills too. Don't just silo your education to one specific area. And third, start saving. Get ahead on your savings because Einstein said one of the greatest miracles or one of the greatest things about phenomena of life is the power of compounding interest. So save and stay away from predatory brokers and just, you know, get a good advisor, a registered independent advisor and start your savings process early. You'll be thankful you did. Just get a jump on that. You can't make it up. So as a young 28 year old or 32 year old guy or gal, you can get to financial freedom so much earlier, delay some satisfaction and and start saving.
1: Awesome, man. So what's going on with you? What's in the short term future? What's what's going on?
0: My twenty twenty goals I'm kind of doubling down on my physical condition. I let things go a little bit. I had some knee pain and i i, I got I got a little bit out of shape so last month like since mid December I've been pushing hard at the gym
1: I'd like to see you a little bit out of shape because I remember being in Dallas and hanging out at the bar at the hotel, and you're talking about getting up at like four thirty and going to run like four miles or something like that
0: oh because <laughs> that's because we were on no it's five thirty, but it was also because we were on central time. <sighs> So yeah, I've gone downhill since then. (laughs) Physical condition, because I know that my ability to to lead and do the things I want to do is predicated on my need to stay in shape. So that's important to me. And also getting back to my morning ritual too. So the thing I pointed to that Bolden was doing, I've kind of fallen off with my morning ritual. So just having a little bit more me time and not always on the go button so much. And, you know, just being present with my family last night, I had a really cool thing. I do these date nights with my kids. So I took my daughter on a date night and it's been a while since I did that. I had them scheduled pretty frequently, but it's almost been a year since she and I went out and she's 10 years old. And I sat at dinner with her. I ordered a glass of wine and I'd made a toast to her. And it's just a heartfelt, like I'm proud of you and I love you. And she just started crying and it was the most beautiful moment. We schedule so many unimportant things. Not to say that this podcast is unimportant, but this was scheduled for months and months but a date night with my daughter wasn't scheduled for a year. Put it on your calendar. There's a lot of things that go on your calendar, haircuts and change the oil in your car. So put the things that are also important on your calendar as well.
1: I love it, man. I think that's a great note to end the podcast on. Hey, listeners, go check out Bulletproof. Check out the podcast, man. I I'd love to listen to your podcast. I try not to listen to too many dental podcasts, but yours is still one that I listen to. Check out The Summit. I am excited to go next year. I hope I will be able to go and I don't have a conflict. But if if I didn't have, wasn't on vacation with my family, I would definitely be here this year. Hey, thanks so much for taking time out of your Wednesday, Craig. I really appreciate it, man. And like you say, you learn from me. I learned so much from you. You're somebody that I really, truly admire and just excited to see what you're going to do next.
0: Likewise, buddy. Thanks for doing this podcast. I know it's important to pay it forward and that's what these are. You just have to pay a lot of money to hear Thoughts, thought leaders like yourself, and you're just paying it all forward. So thanks for doing this and making this a priority in your busy life.
2: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. If you've got any value or insight from today's episode, we ask for your help. First, review us on iTunes. It creates awareness to help others find us, and it literally takes like five seconds. Second, if you want to stay in touch with announcements and updates, text the words Bulletproof, all one word to 345345. We promise not to bombard you with spam text. Also, don't forget to check out our upcoming summit 2020 registration page at bulletproofsummit.com. We're going to be focusing on digital marketing, including social media. Do not miss this one for real. Thanks y'all.